All right. Good morning again, everybody. Well, for those who don't know me, I think everybody here does, but my name is Paul Letvin, one of two pastors here at Submerged Church. Welcome to Submerge. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, as I was talking to my co-pastor Bob already, uh, we're, we're just delighted to, to be here and in this special time in history just to be, to be with you and, and seeing what God has in store for us and how he would have us serve him and be putting our faith into action, being salt and light in the community. And, and, and this season, this Advent Christmas season is a great, as you guys know, great opportunity to be uh, shining our lights in this dark world. You know, Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John, but he also said, you, you are the light of the world in, in Matthew 5, um, 15 and 16. So, so uh, great, great time of year to be talking to people. Hey, what, what is Christmas really about? I think most of us kind of know that, but I just really want to encourage everyone here, you know, take advantage of this special time celebrating Christmas, you know, and we, and we know that Satan is doing everything he can to remove God and Jesus out of everything in our society. And uh, all the more encouragement for us to be reminding people what Christmas is all about. We're going to be talking about a bit of that today, but even the decorations that we put up in our, in our homes, like I, I remind our kids, Hey, why did I, and it, it's getting harder and harder each year to put up Christmas lights, by the way, <laughs> I'm realizing this, this last year, I didn't do it soon enough. There was a bunch of ice on my, on my uh, shingles. I'm like, oh man, how am I going to get up? Because usually I climb up on the roof and then I lean over the edge and hook up the lights and stuff. And, and I said, Haley, I just don't know if I'm going to do it this year. She's like, oh, that's really, so then of course, well, I got to do it now because I can't let my wife down. And so I, I, I literally, I think I had five different sessions of hanging up our outside Christmas lights this year, just based on the weather and like, oh, some more ice melted. Oh, now I can get up to this peak and put these up. And, and finally, I got all three of our peaks decorated. And, but uh, I reminded my kids, and actually, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment when I was thinking like, ah, humbug, I'm just not going to do it this year. And it, 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 was, it was crazy. Like I got struck and said, Paul, you need to be a light in your neighborhood. And I was like, whoa, you know, it, it, that doesn't happen to me very often. You know, it was a pretty clear resounding. And then of course my wife confirmed it with, you know, she's very gracious. Of course, she's going to say, oh, put the lights up, Paul. Don't be a bit, you know, she's like, oh, that was really, you know, she kind of just gave, all right, I'll put them up. So I worked tirelessly, but you know, I remind our kids of that. Why do we put up Christmas lights? It's because Jesus asks us to be the light of the world. Why, why, why does the Christmas tree, the spires point up? It's to remember, to remind us to keep our thoughts fixed on heavenly things, not not earthly things, you know, like, like the Christmas tree when it's, when it's up, you know, if we went and chopped down a Christmas tree, it'd be living, you chop it down, it's dead, you pull it in to your house, you lift it up again, and it's alive again, you know, just, just like Jesus died and rose from, the, you know, uh, the holly, you know, it's like the, the red represents Christ's blood, the green represents everlasting life, the, re, the, the wreath, you know, goes in a circle, never, you know, so, so there's all these things that, that I like to remind myself of during Christmas time, and, and those are things, if when we educate ourselves, we can share with other people, hey, do you know why we have wreaths? <laughs> it's because it's in a circle, it's, it's eternal, it's green, green represents life, that wreath represents eternal life, you know, tell that to your atheist friend or whatever, like, Oh, you know, who knows, or, you know, if they're just secularly celebrating, but, but there's, there's so much richness in the decorations that we do. We just have to remind ourselves of why we do it. Well, today I'm going to be talking about, uh, more specifically, the sign, signs and symbols of Christ's birth that, that, that we see in scriptures. So, so segueing from kind of the decorations that we do today, but you know, what, what were the signs and symbols in, in scripture that point us to Jesus? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. The big idea is rejoice in the wonder of Christ's birth. And I, and I hope and trust by the time we're done today uh, that, that you will be in awe 
of how amazing, how marvelous, how complex our God is, how, uh, how genius he is in, in revealing himself to those who are willing to search for him. In my, my Proverbs birthday verse, now listen, the reason I call it my Proverbs birthday verse is because it's, it's chapter 25 and it's verse 2. So, and I was born on the 25th of February. So, so the day's 25 and then the verse. So, so Proverbs 25, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search things out. So the question is, even this Christmas, how badly do we really want to get to know the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ, you know, through this small child that he gave us. And, 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 and I believe that, you know, God, God made us in him, his image, male and female. He created them. You know, of course, male has that masculine, protective, uh, et cetera, um, you know, thinking logically in high emotion situations. Whereas the female, you know, has got typically, you know, has more of that tenderness, that empathy, and, and, and even, uh, you know, as far as I'm aware how things work, it's like sometimes females kind of like to, to hide themselves, especially in that courting situation and saying, okay, how, how badly does this guy really want to get to know me? You know, they kind of play hard to get, you know, and th things, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? So, and, and uh, Haley, you know, Haley was like that too. She, she was not, she was not like a flirter. She wasn't like throwing herself at me at all. It's like, no, no, no. I had to, I had to really pursue her uh, to, to get to know her and find out things about her. And, and I believe that's an element of God. It's like, how, how badly do you want to search me out and get to know me? You know, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search things out. Proverbs 25, 2. And that's exactly what the wise men did. You know, these kings, these magi, uh, from the east, they, they sought God out and they had to work hard to do it. And I'm going to talk about that uh, a bit today. So let's just bow our heads. Please pray with me as we ask uh, the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us. Father, we are so grateful to be here in your presence. And Lord, uh, there's really not going to be much new I'm going to share this morning that people don't already know about uh, the stories of the Bible, the, the shepherds, the angels, the wise men, etc. But Father, uh, I pray that there would be some new jewels, some some new treasures that people can walk away with this morning and think, wow, I never thought of it like that before. Or God, God I, I just pray you, through your Holy Spirit, you'd pierce every heart today. Grab our attention. Wake us up, Lord. I pray that we'd be sober-minded. I pray that we'd be alert, especially in these wild times that we're living in. And Lord, I pray that we would stop and pause and be in wonder of you this morning as we look at your scriptures and your, your majesty, your, your, uh, your, your marvelous works that you did in bringing your son Jesus here, and everything that you showed us that pointed to him. Lord, I pray we'd discover more of you this morning, and we'd rejoice in the wonder of Christ's birth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, opening statement, kind of a theme as well, uh, along with what I just said. This is in your bulletin. Uh, signs and symbols in Scripture have great significance. There's my homiletics that I'm using, something I learned from Pastor Bob. Signs and symbols in scripture have great significance and are meant to represent and remind us of something. Okay? So like, easy way to remember that. You've got four S's and two R's. Signs and symbols in scripture have great significance and are meant to represent and remind us of something. We see that everywhere throughout scripture. 
Did you know even uh, even the tabernacle, the 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 tents that the the Israelites brought with them? If you looked at it from an aerial view, it, it was it was in a cross shape. You know how it was set up. You know, pointing to pointing to Jesus dying on the cross. One. It's just it's just amazing the the signs and symbols throughout Scripture, and the Christmas story uh, is is no different. So let's take a look at a couple of these. So the first sign we're going to look at is wrapped in swaddling cloths, okay? Wrapped in swaddling cloths. So Luke 2.7, we saw this already. Uh, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, okay? And then Luke 2.12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, this is curious because wouldn't it just be normal for any baby to be wrapped up in some kind of cloth, why would it be a sign? Why, why would the angel say, hey, here's something different that you're going to know this is the one. Like this, this is the king. Okay, so, so there must be something different than just normal, normal baby cloths that Jesus would have been, been wrapped in. Otherwise, why would the angel say this will be a sign? You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. I mean, wouldn't it be like, you'll find a baby Wrapped in a bearskin. It's like, yeah, that would, <laughs> that would be noticeable. I think. You know what I mean? It, it, it must be something that would have been out of the ordinary. Does that make sense? For, in order for it to be a sign. So, so Mary wrapped Jesus in swaddling cloths, Luke 2, 7, which was the first part of the sign of the Savior's birth to the shepherds. So, so the, the angel is, uh, is speaking to the shepherds here in Luke 2, 12. Now, the, the Greek word for swaddling is sparganou, sparganou, may not be saying that correctly, but which refers to long, thin strips of cloth, okay? So some articles that I read solely accredited these as the same cloths that the Middle Eastern culture would have used to wrap the dead body of someone who may have died during the dangerous travel of that time and place, okay? So, So some articles I read accredited strictly to that which would possibly be foreshadowing the fact that Jesus was born to die, immediately being wrapped in burial cloths, right? Um, however, as I further researched, I found that these types of cloths were actually multifunctional, and they were used throughout a Jewish person's life. So uh, they would have indeed been normal to use for wrapping a newborn to comfort them and give them proper posture. Sometimes that same band uh, would first be worn as a girdle, around the belly of the pregnant woman, uh, then used to swaddle the child, and then saved for the eventual purpose of wrapping the body for burial. So it was like a cloth that kind of stayed with them their whole life. So the significance of the sign here of swaddling cloths perhaps only makes sense when it is paired with the other part of the sign. Okay, so is everyone with me so far? So, so that I did find discrepancies in people's opinions, etc. But, but there, there were articles that said, yeah, you know, this, this would have been of cloth that would have been used to wrap a dead body had it died during the da- dangerous travels through the, through the wilderness. And then others said, well, yeah, it's, it kind of goes with them their life. But then once we talk about that second part of the sign, it makes a little more sense. So lying in a manger, that's the second sign we're going to talk about today. Lying in a manger. That's not normal right? <laughs> that one's a little bit more easy to understand. Once again, Luke 2, 7, uh, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. The angel said, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. This is Luke 2, 12. Find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. 
lying in a manger, not born in a manger. <laughs> so that is a uh, false statement when people say, oh, Jesus was born in a manger. Well, I'm not, I don't think Mary would have hopped up on that feeding. Well, I, I, I don't know, you know, and, and he came out right into the manger. Otherwise, uh, that pro so, so the term born in a manger is not technically accurate. He was born in a, a barn, most likely, or some kind of cave, shelter, etc. And then they, they laid him in the manger. Little, little side note. So if you've been saying, oh yeah, Jesus was born in a manger. Uh, well, he, he was laid in a manger after he was born. We, and we all know a manger is a feeding trough, right, for, for animals. So they laid baby Jesus in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Luke 2, 7. This certainly, as I stated already, would be a sign to the shepherds uh, as it as uh, it is doubtful that they had ever seen a baby lying in a feeding trough before. Okay, so being in such an unlikely humble place as a smelly stable at his birth can symbolize that Jesus did not come first as a conquering king to establish his kingdom, but he came as a humble servant. There's also some sources that say Bethlehem was well known for raising lambs that were used for sacrifices. The same place the Lamb of God was born to one day be a sacrifice. Isn't that fascinating? So that was something that Bethlehem was, was well known for. They, they, raised, they raised lambs that were used to sacrifice. You guys know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. Isn't that fascinating? And G Jesus is the bread of life. I mean, look at, look at the symbolism here. Isn't it fascinating? It's like lamb of God, born in the same place where they're prided and raising lambs for sacrifices. The name of the town is Bethlehem, which means house of bread. He's the bread of life. So, so many things where God's just like screaming, pointing, look, look at this, look at this. I'm, it, it's like, like little, little clues on a scavenger hunt, you know, and, and you put them all together. It's like, wow, God knew exactly what he was doing exactly what he was doing. So now when we take lying in a manger and it's combined with wrapped in swaddling cloths, it makes the entire picture even more symbolic. So envision the stillness of a newborn baby, eyes closed, wrapped in swaddling cloths, the same type also used for burial, and lying in a manger. Just envision that. So this scene would have looked very much like someone at their death. Wrapped in a burial cloths, lying in a tomb, just as Joseph took Jesus' body, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone. Luke 25, sorry, 23:53. So the entire picture of this sign certainly is a symbol foreshadowing that Jesus was born to die for our sins. And as we look at this painting up here, this is called Adoration of the Shepherds by Georges de la Troie, or if you, it'd be like Georges with an S, de la, and then it's spelled tour, T-O-W-R, but I think it's Georges de la Troie. So, and it's called Adoration of the Shepherds. Uh, and you just look at that, it's like, wow, yeah, it looks like someone who's at their funeral. I mean, if, if you look at it in, in that certain perspective, pretty, pretty fascinating. Okay, so those were the signs to the shepherds. Let's move on to the uh, the wise men, or the, the magi, I'm going to talk about them for a little bit. So the sign to them was a star. This one was a little bit more complicated. 
took a little bit more wisdom to seek it out, hence the name wise men. Uh, so the star, uh, the star of Bethlehem, and, and one can read about that in Matthew 2, 1 through 10, uh, but it revealed the birth of Jesus to the wise men, or, or, or magi, okay? It's not, it's not maga, it's <laughs> magi, and guided them to Bethlehem. We see that in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, some have tried to pass off this star as simply a meteor, a comet, or a nova. And we've got a little picture there, of, so that, that'd be a nova is an exploding star. Okay, so that's what some people have tried to pass off the Star of Bethlehem as. Uh, but in actuality, it was, it was much more than that. So according to, and, and I encourage you to check out this website, it's called Bethlehemstar.com. Bethlehemstar.com, and it, talks, it features, uh, there was a documentary made a number of years back called The Star of Bethlehem. Anybody see that video? Okay, oh, awesome. Okay, so you guys are familiar, wonderful. Uh, but if you go to Bethlehemstar.com, you can, you can find all this information for yourself. It's a documentary film. And in there, uh, th there's nine qualifications for that star uh, to be required of, uh, to, to fit the bill. So, so there's nine, nine qualifications for this star, and they're all taken from Matthew 2, chapters 1 through 10. And here they are. So number one, uh, it signified birth. The star signified birth. Two, it signified kingship. This should all be in your bulletin. I think I printed those out for you. Um, three, three, it had a connection with the Jewish nation. Four, it rose in the east like other stars. Five, it appeared at a precise time. Six, Herod didn't know when it appeared. Seven, it endured over time. Eight, it was ahead of the Magi as they went south from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And then lastly, number nine, it stopped over Bethlehem. Pretty fascinating. If you've always thought the star of Bethlehem was a meteor, a comet, or a nova, I hate to break the, the news to you, but a meteor, comet, or nova, ex star explosion, cannot meet all of these qualifications. Just simply can't. So how are these qualifications fulfilled with real-time events of the day? Uh, well, once again, like I said, you can check out the website for more info, but here's, here's a brief explanation uh, of each of those points. So I'll go through each of them. We'll keep that up there for you. So number one, uh, it signified birth. So, so the first conjunction that happened, there was, there was a couple conjunctions that happened here. And, and most of us know a conjunction can be, is, is typically when two planets get close to each other or a planet gets close to the moon. In fact, just recently, we looked out the window and saw uh, Jupiter and the moon were, were in conjunction. I think that was just two nights ago. Pretty cool. So, it, so it's when they're very close to each other or, or even from our eye, it looks like they're touching each other. That's what a conjunction is. So the first conjunction was of Jupiter and Regulus. Okay? So this signified birth by its association to the day with, uh, with Virgo. So it was, with, with, it was within that virgin constellation uh, birthing the new moon. So some might argue that the unusual triple conjunction by itself could be taken to indicate a new king. Uh, but, but the point here, it signified birth. It was within that Virgo constellation as if it was giving uh, birth um, to the new moon. Okay, So, that, that was the first, so, so this, this is what the wise men would have been looking at in uh, 3 BC. I think that would have been. Okay, uh, Number two... So the planet of kings, which is Jupiter, Jupiter is known as the king planet, okay? Remember, two, it's, it's signified kingship. So two is the planet of kings, Jupiter. 
So Jupiter did a kind of a coronation of the star of kings, which is Regulus. So, so Jupiter is the king planet, Regulus is the king star. And that signified kingship. And it circled back for three conjunctions by the concept of retrograde motion, okay? Uh, creating a halo over Regulus. Well, what's retrograde motion? Well, it's, it's kind of that effect where if you're going around a roundabout and then you look at a fixed object and you're getting, you know, and you get, as you get closer to it, you look at it and then it goes like that. So, so it's kind of, it's, you know, from your perspective, it's going this way and then it goes back that way. But the object isn't moving, you're the one who's moving. You know, does that make sense? So same, same principle with this. You know, Earth would have been moving and then from Earth's perspective, it would have looked like Jupiter <laughs> did a coronation of the star Regulus, you know, ba based on how Earth was moving, et cetera, at that time. So, so from the wise men's perspective, they would have seen, whoop, whoop, king planet is crowning the king star. Wow, there's a king, pretty cool, okay? Uh, and then number three, it had a connection with the Jewish nation. So, so this, this triple conjunction that happened, it began with the Jewish New Year. And it seems like Jewish holidays have, have a big deal with God speaking to us and signs of the times and things that are happening, uh, etc. So, so surprise, surprise, this happened at the beginning of the Jewish New Year, and it took place within Leo, the lion, showing a connection with the Jewish tribe of Judah right? The Lion of Judah, okay? And, and prophecies of the Jewish Messiah, okay? So that's, that's how number three is. So number four, Jupiter rises in the east, okay? So pretty simple explanation there. So the, 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 star, the star that the wise men saw rose in the east. Jupiter also rises in the east. Number five, it appeared at a precise time. So the conjunctions appeared at precise, identifiable times. So uh, it was at three B.C., and then also in 2 B.C. And some of you might be thinking to yourself, how could anybody possibly know this, what the, what the wise men would have seen? Well, guess what? Uh, there's star programs now that are based off of Kepler's uh, system that he discovered in the 17th century. And, he, and he, dis he discovered, Kepler discovered, our entire solar system is set up like clockwork. And, and so, so that's why, like, I've got a star guide app on my iPad right now, and, and I can watch a full total solar eclipse that's going to happen here in West Fargo in the year, uh, it was like 2091 or something. So I can fast forward and watch that. How can I do that? Because everything is on a certain trajectory at a certain speed, so it, and it, it's, it's literally like a clock. Everything is set into motion and it's predictable. So, so if we can fast forward and they can, you know, how, how do astronomers know? Oh, here's the next lunar eclipse. Here's the next, well, because everything's like clockwork. They, all they have to do is just fast forward the calculations and they can see any uh, event that's going to happen, conjunctions, et cetera. So if you can do it forward, you can also do it backwards. So on these star programs, it's amazing. I've actually done that on my sky guide. I've, and you, you can pick any place in the world that you want to stand, anytime, so you can go, you can go back to the year 3 BC, and you, and you can watch yourself exactly what the wise men would have seen in, in the heavens. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. I know some of you are like, wow, I didn't know I was going to get a science astronomy lesson this morning. But, uh, sorry, I've got a teaching gift. I get excited about these things. Uh, I love, you know, like I shared la last week, I was so thankful when I went out and looked up at the stars. It was just amazing when we were out of the cabin. So uh, God speaks to us. You know, uh, he, he cries out knowledge. He pours forth knowledge, you know, from the heavens. Uh, so really encourage you guys to 
check that out. But that, that's, that's how this is possible to discover where are these planets, where are these stars would have been. Okay. Anyway, moving on. So it appeared at a precise time six. Herod didn't know when it appeared. You think Herod would have noticed a comet or a meteor or a star exploding? Pr probably, you know, it would have been much more obvious to many more people. So, so why was it only the wise men that saw the star of Bethlehem? Why didn't everybody see it? Well, it, it, was, it wasn't that obvious. It wasn't that noticeable. Herod was unaware of these things. They were, they were astronomical events which had significance only when explained by the experts. See, the wise men, had, they had to do their due diligence, their research, and know what to look for. So it wouldn't have been this big, huge, amazing thing. Um, you know, you would have had to know what to look for. Number seven, it endured over time. So uh, we've got a, I think we've got a slide here of Jupiter. Yep, um, there it is. So, so the events took place over a span of time sufficient for the Magi to see them both from the east and upon their arrival in Jerusalem. So, you know, it would have been happening over that, you know, it takes a while to get across all these treacherous landscapes from where they were. Okay. So it would have happened over time. Uh, there was, there was a separate conjunction with Venus. Okay. So remember after that coronation that Jupiter did of the star Regulus. Okay. So now here's, here's a separate conjunction that happened later where Jupiter was in conjunction with Venus, the mother planet creating the most brilliant star men had ever seen. Now, what, what you see here, this would have been very close to what they would have seen. And probably from their perspective at that time, it, it would have looked like one star because they would have been so close to each other. And I, and I think at this moment in, in 2 BC would have been the closest recorded that these planets would have ever been. However, back two years ago, I think it was in December of 2020, I don't know if any of you were aware of this, but that same conjunction happened and it was the closest that they had been in the last... 2,000 plus years. So, uh, so, so uh, maybe some of you remember hearing that about, oh, we're going to have the star of Bethlehem. This, and and I, I remember watching that. I got my telescope out. It's like you know, <laughs> five degrees on the deck. I'm like, oh, there it is. All right, got to go warm up. <laughs> Come back. It's like, oh, it moved. You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it was pretty cool. It just happened two years ago. The, sa the same thing. But it, it had been 2,000 years. So what we saw two years ago, did that signify something? I don't know. Probably, you know, new king, uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, no, number eight, it was ahead of the Magi's that went south from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So Jupiter was ahead of the Magi as they traveled south from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So now let's take a look at this next slide. So this would have been what they would have seen heading south to Bethlehem from Jerusalem. This would have been what they would have seen. Okay, you got the king planet. With the mother planet, there's Regulus, the, the king star within the constellation Leo, you know, just lot, lots right there uh, to, to take note of. Um, so um, on December, so that, <laughs> according to the research I did, on December 25th of 2 BC, as it entered retrograde, Jupiter reached a full stop in its travel through the fixed stars. Now, I encourage you to, do, of course, be safe when you do this, but, you know, when I'm talking about retrograde motion, you know, it's, it's when, when you're moving, like I said before, and as you're moving, the object, you might fix your eye on an object, and for a little while, it looks like it's going that way, but then it, and then it goes this way, you know, depending on your perspective. So, so this would have been the moment where Jupiter is moving, and then, and then it stops. It's like, how, how, how can a star stop? You know, it's like, that's impossible, right? Well, 
from our perspective, through the concept of retrograde motion, it's, it's possible. J Jupiter reached a full stop in its travel through the fixed stars. So Magi, viewing from Jerusalem, would have seen it stopped in the sky above the little town of Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? Now, now think, think about this, Christians. All of this would have been set in motion from when the heavens and the earth were created. For this very moment. Isn't that incredible? So when God spoke the heavens into existence, bam, he knew that this moment was going to come. He's like, I've got to set everything up, all the, um, the, the routes that the planets are on, exactly where the stars in the sky, so that one day when these wise men are heading from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, they're going to see that. And he, he had it all planned out. Isn't that incredible? Just like he has the end of days planned out, as we can read in Revelation. There's no surprises for God. It's like, yep, I knew that was going to happen. I knew that was going to happen. We're like, whoa, COVID hit us. Where did that come from? Whoa, Russians invaded Ukraine. Whoa. God's like, yep, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> no, no surprise here. So uh, it, for, for me, that, that just gives me so much peace and, and security and confidence in our God. You know, he's, he's so secure. Uh, no, nothing, nothing is outside of his power and control. Um, I want to reference this verse again, Matthew 2.10. So, so when, they, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now remember, they rejoiced when they saw the star, not because of the star itself, although it probably would have been pretty cool to see, you know, would have looked like a big bright star with Jupiter and Venus right next to each other, but they weren't rejoicing in that. They were rejoicing because of what and whom that star represented. Because they knew, yes, the Messiah has finally come. The Messiah has been born. So, so remember that. And, and as, we're, as we're hanging up our decorations and stuff, let, let's, not, let's not rejoice in like, oh, look at this amazing Christmas tree. I've got all the branches perfect and the ornaments, da 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 da, da. Let's not rejoice in that. So let's rejoice in what it represents. When you're hanging up that wreath, when you're lighting that candle, when... Uh, whatever your traditions are with decorations, etc., rejoice in what it represents. Because there's so much more than just the, you know, just the same thing with the star of Bethlehem. You know, some, sometimes I think people still put big star on the top of their house or, you know, you've got a star on the top of your tree. Rejoice in what it represents. That star is what the wise men saw and then they knew, ah, here, here is the king. He's come. All right, lastly... We'll close with gifts, the last sign uh, and symbol of Christ's birth. Some of you are probably familiar with, with this, but uh, Matthew 2.11, gifts. Why do, we give, why do we give gifts to each other at Christmas? Because the wise men brought gifts to Jesus. Matthew, Matthew 2.11, uh, <laughs> and the trump shall re... Did, did, did we miss it? Was that the rapture? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, we're still here. Uh, you know, I always wonder what that trumpet's going to sound like. And it's like, all right, we're out of here. You know, like, uh, anyway, all right. Matthew 2.11. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So let's talk about that. So number one, gold. What's so great about gold? Well, lots of stuff. It's, a, it's an element. <laughs> Can't be destroyed. It has monetary value. Of course, we know that. Um, might want to think about having some of your own gold, the way things are going. But I'm not your financial advisor, so please 
do what's right for you. Um, anyway, uh, gold is a precious metal, and it's a symbol of kingship. It's a symbol of kingship, okay? Uh, deity and glory. It speaks of the shining perfection of his divine person. So that's, that's a bit of how you could look at this gift of gold. But the main thing, kings gave gold to other kings, okay? So, it, so that's the main thing that it symbolized was, was kingship, okay? Number two, frankincense. Not to be confused with the scary Halloween monster or whatever. Frank, frankincense, not Frankenstein, Devin. I know what you're <laughs> Frank Frankincense. Uh, it, it's an ointment. It's a perfume uh, or, or an incense, okay? And, and it is a symbol of his priestly role, okay? So the frankincense would have been a symbol of his priestly role. Uh, it suggests the fragrance of the life of sinless perfection, Okay? So it was, priests used that frankincense, that pleasant smell. Turns out it also helps relieve arthritis. So if anybody is having some arthritis issues, try, try some frankincense. Actually, lo lots of things that you can do with frankincense. Anyway, very valuable. Uh, number three, lastly, myrrh. Myrrh. Myrrh is a bitter herb or anointing oil, okay? Uh, and this was a foreshadowing symbol of his death a foreshadowing symbol of his death and the embalming after the sufferings that he would endure in bearing the sins of the world. It confirms again that Jesus was born to die and the wise men were wise enough to know that. Why would you give a baby or, or at this point, probably a, a young child by the time they got to him, why, why would you give them myrrh, which is used to embalm dead bodies? Seems pretty bizarre, but, but they, but they knew they, they had, a, they had a, a vision, a foresight for what this child was going to do. Uh, as it says in John 19, verses 39 through 40, uh, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So once again, gold represented kingship. Frankincense represented Jesus as a priest, that priestly role. And then third, that myrrh represented he was, he was born to die. That's what myrrh is used for to embalm dead bodies. Of course, we know the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive is, is Jesus himself. The greatest, the greatest gift. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. Is there anyone that you know that has not received that gift? This would be a great time to do it. Uh, and I can look out here and hope and believe and trust that everyone has made that decision, but perhaps there's someone here that's, I don't know, been kind of fighting, maybe, maybe faking it, walking, the, I, I, I don't know. You know, God, God knows our hearts, but uh, if you're sitting here and you've never really accepted that free gift of salvation, do it, do it today. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I've shared my, my salvation story. The, ma the main reason I accepted Jesus as my Savior was so that I wouldn't have to go to hell. I, I was afraid I was going to go to hell. And as great as that was to know I'm going to heaven, now I just enjoy my relationship with Jesus so much just because it, it, it gives me purpose. Uh, I know he paid a, a price I could never pay. Uh, he, he knows every detail about my life. It, you know, getting to go to heaven is a great bonus, but just being in the presence of God, there's nothing better. Uh, man, what's that verse? Yeah, you, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. 
In your presence, there is fullness of joy. So give your life to Jesus this Christmas. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. Uh, there's a quote, a quote by John R. Rice. I'll close with this. We'll do, uh, and then we'll have communion and one last song. But uh, so this is a quote by John R. Rice. You can, you can never truly enjoy Christmas until you can look up into the Father's face and tell him you have received his Christmas gift. You can never truly enjoy Christmas until you look up into the Father's face and tell him you have received his Christmas gift. Let's be like Mary in Luke 2.19 and treasure up all these things, pondering them in our heart. I hope you're encouraged by this. Uh, so um, I'm just going to, uh, I'll pray briefly. And then right after that, uh, we're going to go ahead and partake in the Lord's Supper. Once again, you don't have to be a member here. If Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, you have a relationship with him, we invite you to join us uh, in partaking in the Lord's Supper. If you do need to uh, refrain for any reason, that's okay too. I'll escort you by rows. So like first row, go out, back to your spot, second row, third, etc. Um, and then once again, uh, we're just going to let everybody uh, take the elements in, in, in your own time. We, we, we're not going to do it all together. Just want this to be a, a special moment between you uh, and, and our Savior. So uh, let's prepare our hearts for that. Um, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for coming. We thank you for all these signs and symbols. God, how you, uh, you delighted in revealing yourself to us, revealing your plan to us to send your only son. What a precious time. Oh Lord, I pray that we would let these, these truths soak in, that we wouldn't let this, this season go by without marveling uh, at your wonder, just rejoicing uh, in what an amazing God you are. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for being born to die for our sins. Uh, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.